0: So clearly, so explicitly. I want to begin begin reading in Romans 3, verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We are currently studying the heart of the Gospel. It's called justification by faith. It's this awesome reality that when a person trusts Christ, they are counted righteous in God's sight, and are forever blessed. It is because of the perfect life that Jesus lived, and the death that He died, the righteousness that He accomplished as a representative of His people, that we can now say to anyone in the whole world, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's it. Believe, trust Him, rest in Him. His righteousness is freely credited to all who believe on Him. What is the Gospel? The Gospel is the good news that we do not have to work for our salvation. The work has already been done. All that is called for us to do is to turn to Jesus Christ an authentic faith. Over the last several weeks, we have been speaking mainly in theological terms. We've seen that justification by faith means that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, not infused in us. We've seen that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that Jesus' righteousness has been accepted on our behalf. We've seen that this righteousness of Jesus is, of Jesus becomes ours by faith and by faith alone. We have done a lot of work in the last few weeks to try and prove that the gospel that we cling to is the authentic, true gospel of the Bible. This morning I want to preach a very practical message. This message is almost entirely application of what we have learned. It is Mother's Day. Today is a day set aside by the law of this land to honor mothers. And therefore, it seemed appropriate that we take some time today and ask this question. What is the implication? Of all that we've seen over the last few weeks, what is the implication for parenting? If justification by faith is true, if we've understood the gospel correctly, what difference should this make in the way moms and dads care for their kids? Now, You may not be a parent. You may not be a mom or dad. If you're a member of this church, you have brothers and sisters in Christ who, who are, and so you need to hear these things in order to properly love them, encourage them, admonish them. You need to know these things in order to stir up your brothers and sisters into love and good works. Some of you in here are not parents today, but you will be in the future. and You need to hear these things. And so here's what I want us to ask this morning. What is the implication of justification by faith alone for parenting? I want to begin by reminding you of three important truths I assume you already know. Three important truths I assume you already know. Number one, this life is very short compared to the life to come. This life is very short compared to the life to come. James compares our lives on this earth to a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We know that's true of our lives. Parents, we need to recognize that that is true of our children's lives as well. The lives of our children on this earth will be very brief compared to the eternity that awaits them. We do not know how long our children will live, whether they will see 20 years old or 120 years old, but we do know that eternity eventually awaits them. And in the big picture, eternity is a whole lot longer than however many years they live. Second, whether a person spends that eternity under the blessing of God in heaven or under the curse of God in hell, will be determined by the good and righteous judge, Jesus Christ, on the last day. That is, there is a day coming when all will stand before the judge, and Jesus will be the judge. And the matter of eternal destinies will be declared by Him. All authority in this matter has been handed to King Jesus. The keys of death and Hades are in His hands. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Third, in parenting, preparing our children For the last day is more important than anything else we can do for them. I wonder if you would affirm that. Preparing our children for the last day, for the day of judgment, is the most important thing we can do for them. What good is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul? Surely helping our children to be ready to stand before Christ, pointing them to the way that they can be fit for heaven is more important than whether our children can play a tune or hit a ball. Should we prepare our children for adulthood? Absolutely. Should we equip our children to be successful in this life? Absolutely. Should we teach them to play a tune or hit a ball, the more the better. But these things must never become preeminent in our parenting. Preparing our children to stand before Christ, preparing our children for eternal life is the greatest way that we can love our children and care for their souls. We must not let anything else take priority over that. Now, if that is true, and it is, the most important question for parenting is this one. How can my child be right with God? And friends, we've seen the answer: justification by faith alone. It is by faith that people are made right with God. And if faith In Jesus Christ is the way that people are made right with God. What should be the aim in all of our parenting? Should it not be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Here is the aim of true Christian parenting. We aim for faith. Let me be very clear. We ought not to be mainly focused on bringing our children to a one-time decision. If our children trust Christ, there will come a day when they will see their need to make a public decision, a profession of faith, be baptized, become a member of a church. They will learn from you as their parents. They will learn from us as a church the importance of obeying Jesus in these matters. But that day when they do that, that decision does not save them. As parents, we are not mainly after a one-time moment of faith. We are after hearts of faith. We are after hearts that trust our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see our children choosing to follow Jesus and rest in Him every day. We're not about getting our children to pray a one-time sinner's prayer. So many parents feel that if they can just get their children to the point where they can pray a sinner's prayer, well, then they can move on to other things that's taken care of. Friends, that's not salvation. Salvation is having a heart that rests in Christ day in and day out. We must remember the parable of the soils. We want children who Bear up, even under temptation and pressure. Yes, they still trust Christ. Urging your children to trust Christ is something that should never end as long as you live. All people everywhere constantly need this to be urged towards faith in Jesus. God has given us to one another as a church family to encourage faith in one another. So also Christian family members have been given to one another to encourage faith in one another. We must reject the terribly unbiblical and untrue notion that parenting is all about getting your children simply to do this or that for their souls, to make a decision, to walk an aisle, and then that's it and we're done. No, Christian parenting is about the consistent, daily, joyful work of pointing our children to daily, consistent faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this again, Christian parents should constantly be about the joyful work of pointing their children to daily faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't faith that exists for a moment that matters. It's faith that endures, that is real, God-given, saving faith. That is our aim. Now, if that's the great implication... That parenting should be all about teaching our children to trust Christ, to rest in Christ day in and day out in every situation, going through through this exam, trying to figure out what college to go to, worrying about whether they're going to have a spouse. And and, in all of these things, teaching our children, trust Christ, rest in Him. If that's the aim, real faith. How do we do that? How do we cultivate faith? How do we seek to bring about faith in the hearts of our children? Children. We're going to get very, very practical. Number one, first and foremost, we should pray for our children. True saving faith is a gift from God. We often quote Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We could also quote Hebrews 12:2 where Jesus is identified as the founder or author of our faith. <coughs> Excuse me. We could go back and look at Romans 1 where Paul tells the Romans that he is thankful to God because of the report of their faith. He tells the Thessalonians, We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. Why was it right to give thanks to God for them? Because their faith was growing. Why would you give thanks to God if their faith is growing? Because it's God who gives the faith. Faith is a gift from God. And so if we want our children to have real, God-given, saving faith, we must pray for our children. Parents ought to be often on their knees asking God, pleading with God to give children this great gift. Every time we pray, we are expressing to God our need for Him and our dependence on Him in this great matter. When we pray, we are saying to God, we know that even after all of our best efforts, if you don't move, our children will not believe. We need you. Come, help. In prayer, we look to God. We call upon God with desperation and with faith. When Jesus walked this earth, How did He respond to those who came to Him in desperation saying, Jesus, I need You. Help me. How did Jesus respond? It was His inclination to heal. It was His inclination to help. And that is still the inclination of His heart. He loves it when Christian parents come to Him and pray and say, My Lord, my children need faith. Will You give them faith? God draws near to the humble. You hear me? God draws near to the humble. And parents are never more humble than when they're on their faces before God pleading with Him to save their children. I say with full confidence that the only way God will not hear and grant that prayer is if His glory and the good of His church prevents it. Parents, let us be persistent. Let us be earnest. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence on behalf of our children, knowing that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He delights in showing mercy. So pray. We're going to spend a lot of time on some other things this morning. Don't lose this. Number one is number one for a reason. Pray. Number two, teach the trustworthiness of Jesus. Teach the trustworthiness of Jesus. Our children need to know that Jesus is worthy of their trust. They need to know that He is good. They need to know that He is wise, that He is wiser than they are, that He is wiser than Daddy and Mommy, that even Daddy and Mommy turn to Jesus for help. They need to know that Jesus is powerful. They need to know that He's a mighty warrior, a champion over death, a champion over sin. Our children need to know that Jesus is fully able to save them, fully able to lead them down right paths, fully able to bring them safely to heaven. They need to know that He is willing to make them His own and to bless them immensely. Ephesians 6.4 addresses fathers and tells them to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That instruction ought to be Christ-centered instruction. There is so much for parents to teach their children, but the glorious truths of Jesus and the trustworthiness of Jesus, indeed, the glory of Jesus, must be preeminent in our instruction. This happens in planned times of teaching, family worship. Often dads will will have the lead in this. But this kind of teaching also happens spontaneously. As opportunities to teach our children about Jesus present themselves. And moms, you often spend more time with the children than dads do. You have more of these opportunities. You have more of these spontaneous moments to teach your children the glories of Christ. Look for these opportunities. Take advantage of them. They're everywhere. They really are. You give your children a bath. Teach them about how Jesus cleanses His people from all their sins. When your children are getting dressed, teach them about how Christians can be dressed or are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. When you're having lunch, teach your children about how Jesus' body was broken for us on the cross and how He taught us to remember that through the breaking of bread. When your children cry, teach them about how Jesus can bring us safely to heaven where there are no more tears. Teach your children. Find these spontaneous opportunities. Teach them the glories of Christ. Teach the trustworthiness of Jesus by modeling faith in your own life. Let your children see that you go to God in prayer for help and wisdom. Let your children see that you look to the Bible for Christ to give you direction and help. Don't be afraid to apologize to your children when you've acted sinfully towards them and then let them see you go to Christ. Ask for forgiveness. Let them see you get up from your knees with confidence that you are forgiven. Through scheduled times of instruction, through spontaneous times of instruction, through your own example, teach your children the trustworthiness of Jesus Christ. Number three, number three. Wield the rod well. Wield the rod well. I don't know that there is a better opportunity to teach our children about the gospel and about Jesus Christ than just after they have disobeyed. Just after they have sinned. When it comes to disciplining our children, our aim must not be mainly about getting them to behave, but teaching them to trust Christ. If our children come to trust Jesus, behaving will follow. Real faith always shows itself in real fruit. Let us wield the rod well. What does that mean? First, make sure you teach your children justice through discipline. Remember, parents have authority over their children in ways that are very similar to God's authority over us. Children learn about God and His authority from their parents and their authority. The way their parents care for them, the way their parents rule over them will affect the way they think of God and His authority and His care and His rule. Our children need to know that God has established certain moral laws and that breaking these laws reaps very real and serious consequences. Parents teach this by making very clear rules in the household and making sure that a very fair and appropriate punishment follows when rules are disobeyed if rules are allowed to be broken or even trampled upon without repercussion, these children will often grow up to treat God's laws the same way. And there will be no fear of God before their eyes. This is a very serious thing. Teach justice. Second, besides teaching justice through discipline, we should also teach grace. Grace that is, in the context of justice, when our children know they've done wrong, they know that there is a punishment they deserve, they know that that punishment ought to be coming, then at times, we can surprise our children by withholding the punishment and taking that opportunity to teach them about grace. We do not give them the punishment they deserve, but rather we talk about how Jesus took punishment for us on the cross and what that means for those who believe on Him. We must be careful that we don't do this too often so that they begin to take advantage of grace. We don't want them to grow older and think they can take advantage of God's grace. But doing this occasionally can teach a very powerful lesson. We want our children to understand the justice, the righteousness of God, but we want them to understand grace as well. And then third, when we discipline our children, we should always make an appeal to their conscience. An appeal to their conscience. Ted Tripp points out that the same chapter of Proverbs in which parents are encouraged to use the rod, in which parents are encouraged to not withhold discipline from their children, is also full of appeals to the conscience. Let not your heart envy sinners, Hear, my son, and be wise. Direct your heart in the right way. Listen to your Father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The Proverbs is full of these appeals from father to son to Appealing to the conscience, exhorting him, pleading with him to walk in a certain way. Well, similarly, we as Christian parents should not simply spank our children or give them the appropriate punishment and then assume that discipline has been done. We ought to appeal to their consciences. Do you not grieve over what you did? We ought to seek to have our children to admit their crime to us, to recognize that it is right for them to receive the punishment. We ask them to see that we do not delight in punishing them, that our greatest delight would be to see them walking in faith and obedience. Ted Tripp says that once after a worship service at his church, a man came to him upset because he had seen a boy steal money out of the offering plate as it was being passed around. This man was concerned for the boy, and Pastor Tripp encouraged the man to go and speak to the boy's father about the situation. A few minutes later, the boy and his father came to him into his office, and the boy pulled two dollars out of his pocket and gave it to him. He was crying, and he said how sorry he was and that he wanted to ask forgiveness for having taken the money. Tetrip says, I began to speak to him. Charlie, I'm so glad that someone saw what you did. What a wonderful mercy of God that you did not get away with this. God has spared you the hardness of heart that comes when we sin and get by with it. Don't you see how gracious He has been to you? And he said that the young boy just nodded and he was still crying. He said, you know, Charlie... This is why Jesus came. Jesus came because people like you and your Father and me have hearts that want to steal. You see, we're so bold and brazen, we would even steal from offerings that people are bringing to God. But God has such love for wicked boys and such love for wicked men that He sent His Son to change them from the inside out and to make them people who are givers and not takers. Ted Tripp says that at that point, Charlie broke down again into sobs and drew another $20 bill out of his pocket. He had begun this brief conversation, prepared to go through the motions, prepared to do what he had to do in order to appease his father, to give back two of the dollars he had taken. But as he heard Ted Tripp appeal to his conscience, talk to him about the wrongfulness of what he had done, talk to him about the mercy of God for sinners, something clicked... That trip says there was no accusation in his tone. Neither he nor the father knew that the other money had been taken. He said, What happened? Charlie's conscience had been smitten by the gospel. The gospel had hit its mark. So when we discipline our children, it's not about behavior, it's not about giving the right punishment and that's it. It's about appealing to them with words. Oh, son, oh, daughter, do you see what you did? Do you see that this sin is against God? What should we talk about with our children when they have sinned? First, we must help our children see that ultimately all sin is against God. It's not just that they've sinned against us. They have sinned against God. We need to make sure that they know who this God is that they have sinned against. We must not be afraid to speak to our children about the wrath of God or about the doctrine of hell. We cannot consider those subjects taboo. We must teach our children these things as well as the righteousness of God and the mercy of God and the goodness of God in everything that He does. We must help our children see also that God loves them and has made a way of salvation in Jesus Christ. We must help them see that they've sinned against God, but we must also help them see that God loves them and has made a way of salvation in Jesus Christ. Punishments are opportunities to teach the wrath of God, but also to teach the love of God. We talk to them about Jesus, about how God's love is shown for us, and that He sent Jesus to be a substitute And we urge our children to trust Christ. We must also help our children learn how to go to God in prayer. Listen carefully. We must help our children learn how to go to God in prayer when they've sinned, to confess their sin, and to ask forgiveness. We must teach our children to be praying for a new heart We must teach our children to be praying that God would give them His Spirit to come into them and to dwell in them and to help them to change. If our children are learning to pray those kinds of prayers when they sin, when they break rules, well, then they're beginning to learn what it is to live by faith. When your children are praying for God to give them a new heart, and you are praying for God to give them a new heart, when parents' prayers and children's prayers are joined together for God to give them a new heart, can God resist such prayers? Will that not move His fatherly compassion? Let me mention one more way that we can serve our kids in this matter. As your children get older, help them learn how to assess the state of their own souls. As your children get older, help them learn how to assess the state of their own souls. If you and your children are praying the kind of prayer I'm talking about, where even after discipline, they're calling out to God, God, I don't know why I'm still doing these things. Give me a new heart. Help me to trust You. Help me to follow Christ. Well, then you should begin looking for evidences that that prayer is being answered. And you should be teaching your children to do the same. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. If you as parents see evidence that God has given real faith to your child, if you really believe God has answered the prayer, there are marks of a new heart in my child. Meet with your child. Talk with your child. What is it that has led you to this conclusion? Help them to learn self-examination. Help them to learn for the marks of real, to see the marks of real faith. There are so many children that struggle with assurance of salvation because they've never been told, taught what the marks of real salvation are. They've never been taught how to examine themselves. If you have a child that appears to be genuinely saved, encourage that child often to continue in prayer, to continue hiding God's Word in their hearts. If you have a child that is not yet converted, if you were honest, you look at this child, and this child still is just following their own way, doing what they want to do. Meet with that child too, regularly. Let them know what you think. Child, we, we've been praying for you for so long. We want you to be praying for you. And yet, we have to say that right now we're not seeing the marks of real faith in your life. Let's continue praying. Trust Christ, share the gospel with them yet again. I've learned from from some dear friends of mine uh, the ways that they do this, where where they meet with with their children once a year or twice a year. Often it's on their birthdays that they'll meet with them and just have a discussion about their soul, where they are, and then encouraging them to, to keep praying. What are the evidences? We're going to close with this. What are the evidences of real saving faith In a child, if this is our aim, if the implication of justification by faith for parenting is that we should aim for real God given saving faith, what does it look like? How do we know it when it shows up? How do we teach our children to recognize it when they have it? Let me just mention three marks. Number one real grief over sin. Real grief over sin. Children are sad when they get caught. Children are sad when they get punished. Children are sad when they see mommy or daddy angry with them. But real grace is at work when a child is sad over their sin. When children confess what they've done wrong and say, Dad, Mom, I know what I did was wrong and I hate that I did it. I I really want to stop doing it. Why can't I stop hitting my brother? Why am I always taking things from my sister? Help me, I want to stop doing these things. That's real grief over sin. That is a, that is a very encouraging sign. Parents ought to rejoice when they hear their parents saying things like that, parents ought to rejoice when they hear their children saying things like that. Real grief over sin. Number two, real trust in Christ as evidenced by a real regard for His commands. Most kids who are raised in a Christian home will say that they believe in Jesus. Most kids raised in a Christian home will say that they trust Jesus. But we're taught in the Bible that the evidence of real faith will be seen in whether they have real regard for the Word of Christ. When you say, like, well, Jesus teaches us in his Bible to do things this way, does that carry weight for them? Can you see that they trust his wisdom? <coughs> Excuse me. And that if he said that, they want to follow that? I mean, that's how we look for salvation in our own hearts, isn't it? And that how we determine whether we are saved or not? Do we really trust Christ's word? And then third, look for an eagerness concerning the means of grace. Look for an eagerness concerning the means of grace. When children are reading the Bible in their own time because they want to. When children are praying because they want to pray. When children look forward to church because they enjoy the actual experience of worship, of learning, of growing. The Bible, prayer, Christian worship and fellowship, these are things that draw us near to the Savior we love. All Christians should delight in the means of grace when our children show real delight in the means of grace. That is a wonderful, wonderful sign. If these three things, grief over sin, trust in Christ as evidenced by a real regard for His Word, an eagerness concerning the means of grace, if these things continue over time, will you have real grounds to believe that God is at work in your child and that your child is a believer? And There will be a day as your child grows older when he or she will come to a point and they'll say it's time to, to do this and to profess that faith, to be baptized, to become a part of God's people outwardly as well as inwardly. One of the great questions that Christian parents face is, how can I know that my child has real saving faith and is not just doing these things to please me? And so I would simply encourage patience. Time will often show whether our children are truly believers or not. Be patient. In the meantime, folks, I'm closing. Listen up now. Don't don't lose me now. I know you're hungry. Probably big lunches waiting. Hear this. As parents, as we aim for faith, we should be praying. We should be teaching. We should be disciplining. And we should be assessing those four things over and over and over. We pray. We teach. We discipline. We assess. We pray. We teach. We discipline. We assess. We pray. We teach. We discipline. We assess. And we do this continuously. All right. What do believers need more than anything? Faith. What do unbelievers need more than anything? Faith. The aim of our parenting, whether our children are converted or unconverted, is faith. Why is the aim of parenting faith? Because we are made right with God, justified in His sight by faith alone. And we should praise God for that, amen? Okay, let's pray. So Father, help the families in this room, help the parents in this room to know what it is.